1: One of the best high schools in the country is on the edge of Manhattan, just a few blocks from where the World Trade Center is now, Stuyvesant.
0: I think that there's a feeling of, there's a sense that it's a special place.
1: Mara writes about the city and the city schools for the New York Times editorial board.
0: It just gives a sense of importance
1: of being elite. Four Nobel laureates have gone to Stuyvesant, So is Attorney General Eric Holder and jazz musician Thelonious Monk. Before Frank McCourt won the Pulitzer Prize, he taught English here.
0: I mean, you walk in and you can kind of feel the, especially the entrance, has this soaring entrance in Tribeca. And there's a sense that people there are going places, that there's kind of competition in the air, excitement. This competition,
1: it's part of what's become controversial about this school. Because it's a competition that seems to have filtered out whole classes of people. Just seven Black students were admitted to Stuyvesant's incoming freshman class for next year. That's out of nearly 900 kids. When this news broke last week, the Times tracked down a few of the Black and brown students who go to Stuyvesant. They talked about the excitement and dread of getting into a selective school. One boy said his mother warned him he was going to have to put on his armor every day.
0: It was heartbreaking. It was devastating. I think as a adult who is biracial, who has been through similar experiences, I read that and it brought me to tears just thinking about how lonely it must be for these kids. Mara
1: still remembers what it feels like to be lonely in this way. She says white college classmates would ask her what her SAT scores were, and it felt like she was being asked to prove something.
0: And I was thinking about that today with these kids. Just reading them, hearing them, almost speaking from the page, talking about not just what it's like to be the only Black person or Hispanic person in the room, but what it means that they are having their intelligence questioned. And what that says about them is nothing, but what that says about the culture that we've created in these schools is extremely disturbing. — found this article from
1: 2014. That year, seven students were admitted to Stuyvesant. Same as
0: this year. It just seems like it's not changing. It's not changing. There's some evidence it might be getting worse.
1: It's worth emphasizing here, Stuyvesant is a public school. And advocates like Mara say that while segregation used to look like redlining in the North and Jim Crow in the South, it now looks like Stuyvesant. And that's why, even if you don't live in New York City, and never will, what's happening at this one public high school is worth paying attention to.
0: Education has always been the pathway to a better life, to the middle class, better life for immigrants, for all of us. And we saw with, a couple weeks ago, the indictments that came down in which you had wealthy Americans buying their way, buying their children's way into these Ivy schools, we saw that clearly education is in a sense a commodity, or has become one, that people are hoarding for their kids. In New York City, these, these high schools are a symbol of what we all see as just the best opportunity to get ahead. I mean, everybody wants his kid or her kid to go to the best school. And that's just normal and natural. But if we aren't allowing um, every kid from every school and every background the same opportunity to attend these schools, then something's broken. I mean, these are schools. They're public good. They're public schools. We're supposed to be finding kids who have the best aptitude and the best love of learning. And putting them together from all parts of the city, that's the dream. That's the dream. So what went wrong?
1: Today on the show, Mara's going to explain what she thinks went wrong here. How did the crown jewel of New York City public education come to look so unlike the public? And why has this problem been so difficult to fix? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Part of what makes this story really interesting to me is that when we talk about our educational system, we like to talk about it as a meritocracy, as the best people getting ahead. And we sort of like the idea of purifying, like, who gets where and making sure it's based on some kind of metric we all agree on. And in some ways, when you look at it from the outside, it looks like that's what Stuyvesant and these specialized high schools have done. The only way you get in is a single test. It's not grades. It's not recommendations. None of those soft things. Tell me a little bit of the test you have to take to
0: get into these schools. Sure. So the SHSAT, as it's called, is a in single exam that the eight specialized schools require by state law. Does anyone and else do it like this? No. No one else in the country does this. And I would also add that Harvard, Yale, none of the Ivy League schools, the University of Michigan where I went, none of no competitive school or college in the country only uses a single exam as the single criteria of entry. We are the only ones who do this. We stand alone. How did it become the test? So it's interesting. What we do know is that there was a serious effort to integrate the specialized high schools in the early 1970s that came up from Black and Puerto Rican activists throughout New York who saw these schools, especially Stuyvesant, but not only Stuyvesant, as a clear pathway to the middle class. And they were not diverse at all. This was, you know, an era of even legalized segregation. And so Mayor John Lindsay, who's you was know, the liberal, great liberal hope at the time, agreed to make an effort to desegregate these schools. And in response, communities who did not support that— White communities. White communities went to Albany when they couldn't get a hearing at City Hall, and they convinced two lawmakers, Hecht and Calandra, to introduce legislation that essentially took away the ability of the city of New York to control the admission process at these specific schools— and that legislation, Hecht Calandra, still stands today. And it is what allowed and paved the way for the SHSAT to be used as the sole criterion for entry, where other schools that are also wonderful and, and considered very competitive in the city, uh, who are not these official, quote-unquote, specialized schools and not, therefore, under Albany control, have other admissions requirements. And when you look into it, People were upset about it at the
1: time. There's a story in The Times article about a black legislator in Albany in tears as this passes, because people saw this as a way for white communities to sort of circle
0: the wagons and protect these places that they'd seen as theirs. That's right. That's an important thing to note, because it tells you a lot about the context in which the exam was born The test is charged. It's not this perfect test that came down from heaven. Now, there are plenty of communities who have managed to get around that, and we all want the best for our kids, so there's no blame there. Uh, But I think when you have a public school, it is a public good. And so there's a bigger responsibility. Well, so
1: what happened once this test kind of became the sole arbiter of who gets into these schools? Because you look at the makeup of these schools over the years, and there was a time where I wouldn't say they were diverse, but they were more
0: diverse. And then that changed. So the answer is we really don't know. There needs to be a much harder look at this. One thing I was pushing for this week is for members of the city council to have a hearing on this, to call the Department of Education before the city council and get some answers about how this happened and how we got to this point. Because we, we don't know. And frankly, until the past year or so, this was an issue that was just as serious and just as urgent, but was not getting the kind of attention that it is now.
1: Hmm.
0: In the last week,
1: since these new admissions results have come out, you've seen a lot of Asian families coming forward because these families are often poor, don't have a lot of resources, and scrimp and save so their kids can cram for this one exam and have seen results. And they've made this argument that we're working really hard and everyone should work this hard. What do you say when you get into
0: a conversation with a family like that? So there's a lot there. So just to try and unpack that a little bit. I think, again, that it's not fair to expect parents to accept less for their children. I don't think that the onus is on these parents to stand down and kind of roll over and take whatever changes (laughs) the rest of the city comes up with. I don't blame them for being upset. But I would say that, you know, Just because a group of people is benefiting from an unfair system doesn't mean that that unfair system should continue. Hmm. And I think that when you have something like education, which is, again, a public good, it belongs to the entire city of New York. It belongs to all of the school children of New York. And I don't think this is an issue where there should be winners and losers. I think it's unfortunate, and it shows you what the need is in this city for great public education. You know, I wish that we could just snap our fingers and expand and have more seats in these schools automatically. We can't do that, at least in the time being. But I do think that the concerns of Asian parents who have spent thousands of dollars that, frankly, I don't think they should have had to spend helping their kids prepare for this test, which, by the way, the curriculum on this test is not taught in New York City public schools. So, I mean, they are essentially being given the same unfair hand, and the communities there have organized a way around it, and they should not be blamed for that. But I also just want to say that the history of immigrant communities is very different than the history of Black communities and also of Latino community, which is extremely diverse as well, as well as the Asian community. So I don't think it's an apples-to-apples comparison, and I— I think that we have to be very careful when we suggest that certain communities or that Black communities are not working hard or don't care about education. That's just not true. It's racist. It's what it is.
1: New York City's mayor, Bill de Blasio, he struggled to be direct about the city's schools. He even avoided calling them segregated until this latest admission story popped up last week. But he has come up with a plan.
0: The one good thing he has done so far is put forth this plan, which we have endorsed at the board, the editorial board of the Times, to take the top 7 percent highest achievers of every middle school and try and offer them admission to the city's specialized schools. It's not perfect, but I think something drastic is required. And so Uh, That's a a decent plan. But, you know, it's very easy for the mayor to suggest that because it requires Albany approval. So he doesn't actually have to get blamed for it. The mayor could, if he wanted to right now, put that plan into place for the kind of larger group of uh, schools that aren't really technically specialized high schools. They're competitive, but they don't require the exam. He could do that with a much smaller number of seats, but he's not doing that. He's not actually taking the lead on this issue at all. But it also requires bringing in different constituencies.
1: And I was really struck by the fact that when he came up with his plan, Eric Adams, the Brooklyn Borough president, came out in favor of this. And then a few months later, you saw that he was less in favor of it. And it was because donors who were Asian donors had withdrawn support from him. And it shows how challenging
0: it is to tackle these issues. I'm glad you brought this up about Eric Adams, because, and I, w- I actually want to say, some people have talked about hearings. Carl Hasty, the Speaker of the Assembly, did say he's going to have a hearing on the issue. I think that it's a combination of not wanting to anger Asian communities who have been quite united on this issue, but there's also the issue that, it, within the Black community specifically, there is not a single line of thinking about integration. And a lot of people are focused on bettering, so to speak, all the schools or or maybe integration isn't a priority for them. I feel very strongly about integration, but not everyone does. And so there are certainly folks in the black community who say, you know what, that's fine. I'm more worried about I have other issues. Let's make sure our PTA is fully funded. So because of that, I think the political will is not yet there. It seems to me that to fix this, though, we'd have to agree
1: on what we want our top schools and really... All of our schools to do like right now, there's this one test for these specialized schools. It's really narrow. We're saying these are these narrow ideas of who you need to be to be the best. And we don't agree on the metric we're using to evaluate.
0: Who's best? Yeah, that's exactly right. At the end of the day, what do we want our specialized high schools or any of our high schools to do? Do we want them to find the kids who are best at taking this exam? Or do we want them to find the most enthusiastic, accomplished, passionate learners around the city? I guess I'm somebody who believes that there are kids in every single classroom in this city who have high potential. You know, these schools like Stuyvesant and Bronx Science and Brooklyn Tech, they should reflect the city at large. Because otherwise, I mean, do you really believe that there are only seven black kids who are qualified for Stuyvesant? No, nobody really believes that.
1: I have to say, as a parent, I have a couple of kids, one's in pre-K, the other's in fifth grade. They're in the New York City public school system. And you feel kind of hopeless. There's not a lot you can do as an individual because As someone who sort of believes in certain values, if you aren't really advocating on behalf of your kid, your kid isn't getting the attention that they need. But if you are really advocating on behalf of your kid, you know that you're taking resources away from others. And it puts you in this very tight spot. And when I look at it as a parent, I see it as... The root of the problem is we've created this really scarce resource, which is a good education. And the natural instinct when there's something scarce is for people to
0: fight over it. I think that's really powerful. And I think that's at the heart of what's going on here. I think the struggle is that while these elite schools are just a small piece of that puzzle, they are such a powerful symbol of the ways in which we have allowed this, as you said, scarce public good to be hoarded, to be used unfairly. And I guess what I can't stop thinking about is, because you know I had parents who advocated for me, like you advocate for your kids. What I can't stop thinking about is how many Black and Hispanic kids are sitting somewhere in a middle school in East New York or in the South Bronx right now who have great grades, who come to school and are going to, you know, they could cure cancer. And how many of them are are going to be languishing in schools that are not going to get them there? Because we are insisting on defending the indefensible. Mara,
1: thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation.
1: Mara Gay covers politics for the New York Times editorial board. Okay, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris. My producers are Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. Big thanks to June Thomas and Merritt Jacob, who helped us a lot with today's show. Also, in case you haven't heard, I've got a little invitation for you. Our membership program, Slate Plus, is celebrating its fifth anniversary this year, and we are throwing birthday parties all across the country, but just for members. So if you aren't a member, come join. If you are, come through. You're going to be able to meet some of your favorite Slatesters. If you come to the one in Brooklyn, you'll be able to meet me. There's going to be trivia. The first drink is on us. And whether you come or not, if you are a member, thank you. You make all of our work possible. Go to slate.com slash live for more information. Talk to you soon.